Hi and welcome to another Tech Interview special, uh, focusing on some of the challenges, uh, new and in- interesting challenges that we are currently finding ourselves in as we're all trying to deal with uh, trying, to, trying to operate businesses and live our lives during this COVID-19 pandemic outbreak. Um, so one of the areas that's come up uh, and, and is an increasingly a challenge, I think, for quite a lot of people is all of a sudden the amount of people that we have remote working. You know, whether that's uh, expanding our scale of our infrastructure um, or whether that's making sure our users have got uh, devices that they, they can work with, um, there's a whole bunch of challenges. And one of the things that struck me around this is that we're also opening ourselves up to a, a range of security implications. So we've got lots of users connecting from unusual devices, connecting from unusual locations. How do we continue to maintain a secure environment for the, them to operate in so we can secure our data, secure our business, and make sure that our users um, are equally having a secure uh, and, and effective experience? So to help me to explore that, I'm joined by a returning guest to the show, uh, somebody who's a, an expert in this area, um, Amy Stokes-Waters. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Welcome back. Hello, hello. I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really, really good, thank you. Fit well, no dry coughs or wheezing. Um, how about you? You nice and healthy? <laughs> yeah, thankfully, I've just been for a run, uh, so I'm actually getting more healthy during the uh, coronavirus outbreak than I was previously. <laughs> yes, I think we, we were discussing that before we uh, before we started recording. That actually, that's not something you do normally. So, um, yeah, you're you're the first person to be healthier because of it, uh, yeah. which is which is a good thing. So, um, but but Amy, actually, for for people who didn't hear you on the show last time, do you want to uh, give us a quick instruction to who you are and what it is you do? Uh, yes, no problem. So I'm Amy Stokes-Waters. I work at a company called Identity Experts and we specialise in, uh, as the name suggests, identity solutions. So we help people with their joining with believer processes um, and also with the Microsoft security stack. So anything that customers need from um, helping with identity security through to information protection, threat protection, uh, security management, um, we do things around cloud-based SIEM tools, um, so all that good stuff, which uh, is seems seeming to be more imp- important nowadays with the, like you said, the the increase in remote working. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the thing that struck me is that yeah, one of one of the areas I think that that we've seen is that as people are starting to um, kind of adopt some new working practices, uh, trying to kind of adjust their day to day experiences. I think for a lot of people, they're suddenly outside of this comfort zone. So they've been used to maybe going to an office, they've been used to logging into systems that they're used to using. Maybe they've been used to using Office three six five and Teams and things like that. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, that we've got lots of these users now doing all of those things from unusual locations, you know, so maybe they're a little bit more at risk. So so I thought it might be uh, useful for, for the, the people listening to the show. If we could come up with a handful of tips, handful of things that maybe they should be looking out for uh, and, and perhaps some things that they can be doing to ensure that, that they maintain that security. So, but, but I mean, for you, is, is that something that you're seeing inside of your own customer base of people you work with? Are you, are you seeing a kind of a change or an, an adjustment in the way people work? And, you know, are, are they more concerned about some of the security risks yeah i mean obviously with everyone remote working we've got the issue that we're not on a secured corporate network anymore so everyone's using their own home wi-fi um so there's not we ain't got that we ain't got that firewall in place necessarily unless we're techies ourselves and have set up our own uh, fortress of cyber technology at home uh, which i haven't by the way um 
so yeah, there's a, 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 I just read an article actually earlier from on Fox News about the increase in cyber attacks and scams since um, since the coronavirus pandemic started because they know that people are working from unsecured locations or they're using devices um, to access corporate data that necess- they didn't necessarily use previously. Um, so things like bring your own device security uh, seems to, is is sort of on the rise at the moment. Um, so yeah, we'd, rec- we'd definitely recommend things around using tools like Microsoft Intune for uh, mobile application management and mobile device management as well. So that enables you to do uh, things like set up additional security configurations onto um, your end users' devices. So it might require that they have a, a six-digit pin instead of a four-digit pin. Um, you might make sure that they have to have multi-factor authentication enabled on their account to um, access data. Um, you can do things then like remote wipe data as well. So if you think that device has been compromised, then you can just remote wipe the, the corporate data from it. So, yeah, we've seen quite a rise in, um, in things like that. Yeah, and I, th- I suppose that's sensible. Actually, it, you know, some of the things you've talked about there, and, and my experience is similar, actually, that this kind of increase in where people have not maybe thought about mo- things like mobile device management and you know hardening security, having the ability to remote wipe devices. You know, they've perhaps not considered those things before because perhaps those devices have sat in the office or maybe a lot of those users have not not worked in uh, kind of mobile environments, not worked remotely before. So, so, so we've seen seen quite a lot of that as well. Um, and actually, I just wanted to kind of, kind of roll back and meant to mention this in the introduction that one of the reasons that I wanted to have a chat with you was that you've uh, written this fantastic article. Uh, I'll make sure um, you know, links go into the show notes that's uh, posted up on LinkedIn, uh, 10 top tips for secure remote working. So um, so it sounds like that's probably quite a good uh, good platform for, for our conversation here. Um, uh, but maybe rather than going through the, the kind of the top 10, I mean, what, what was it that um, inspired you to write that article? And, you know, it, what, are, what are some of the key things that, that we should be looking at and, and people taking away from it? Well, I think we've had quite an increase in people saying, uh, we've got a lot of work users working at home. What do we do now? How do we get them secure? So I wanted to just give people a bit of advice around simple things that they could do to sort of get them get, get themselves up and running quickly, um, but also securely. So we want to make sure we've got that balance between productivity and security. We don't want to lock things down too much that obviously people can't work from home, uh, which sometimes we do find cybersecurity teams like to try and do. Um, but we do need to obviously ensure that people can continue working, especially with uh, the economy and the situation that we're in now, wherever we can facilitate people to continue being productive and do they continue doing the job we we want to help people to do that um so i think um yeah some of the some of the main points from it i think the first one really is um don't forget the the sort of standard things that that you do on a day-to-day basis so just because we're in a bit of a unique situation with uh this pandemic um we don't want to forget just the normal things that we that we'd usually recommend people to do so patching should always be the should always be the top of your list um of uh, security um hygiene rules we should always be patching it's just making sure that potentially we need to we review those processes so we need to make sure we're telling our users to patch their device devices um make sure that their operating systems are, are up to date uh, make sure your your antivirus software is as up to date as possible. Uh, so if we've not got things like Microsoft Defender ATP rolled out, which is unlikely you would do if you're using 
BYOD, um, then, you know, just making sure that, that your users have got the latest software available to them so that it's got all the, um, any any bug patches in there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the, the number one thing that we should be reminding ourselves to do. Yeah, and I think actually that's a, a great example is not forgetting the basics because I think while we're um, we're kind of you know and it was almost I suppose where I was coming from at the start with this was that while we've got people working in unusual environments you know finding themselves outside of their comfort zones that they shouldn't forget some of the basics in terms of making sure that they're you know patching their systems backing up data. Be, being aware of uh, suspicious emails, all of that kind of thing. So, so I think that kind of doing the basics is extremely important. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to um, kind of pull out of the the, uh, the, the, the ten tips that you've done was actually tips number one and two, which was this idea of setting expectation and standardising on communications. You know, because mm. I think again, one of the challenges that that we've seen is this kind of mix of both you know an expectancy of well what what is i am capable of doing and what things can i and can't do what can i get access to what can't i Mm -hmm. and making sure we clearly communicate that you know so is there have you got some tips in in that kind of space some examples of where you've seen that work well maybe maybe not so well yeah i mean we work at home on a regular basis so uh to be honest this has just forced me to probably work at home one extra day a week than i was doing before so my working practices haven't really changed that much um but obviously for some people it's quite a big difference for them especially when the kids are at home and they're running around and i've got i've had a few colleagues who have uh been sharing some interesting stories about how capable their children are at using technology when you <laughs> think they're really really good on stuff but they don't know how to save documents and I've uh, heard of quite a few people getting uh, a bit a bit annoyed with them and just deciding it's a teacher training day rather than a, <laughs> rather than a school day um, so I think it's making sure that your employees know it's expected of them yeah when working from home so if you're going to employ um if you're gonna if you're gonna allow people to remote work, then you need to I think be a bit more flexible in terms of their hours. So if you can't, I don't think you can be expecting people to do a solid nine to five, especially when they've got the kids running around and they've got to feed them and entertain them, make sure they've got schoolwork to do and whatever else it is that you need. Um, so I think yeah, being a bit more flexible um, is a good one. Um, and giving them some clear guidelines around what you what you what you do expect them to do. So if you've got a load of applications that are on premise that you can't get access to you can't expect people to be accessing those applications and filling them in so if your CRM or whatever it is is on uh, is on prem then you either need to make it externally facing so people can get onto it and then they can continue to do the day job or if they can't then you need to say look these are the these are the tasks that we that we know you can do from home so just continue doing these um yeah and then standardizing your communication I mean there's a big thing in the news, obviously, obviously now coronavirus has taken over, but I think it was it February time when Caroline Flack um, passed away and then the whole mental well-being became like quite a big priority and people were talking around making sure that, you know, you con- you are communicating with other people. Um, and I think with the with this whole isolation thing, it does make, it, do, it is quite a big pressure on your, on your mental health. Um, that's why I've been going out for a run, just so I can see outside of these four walls of my dining room for half an hour in the daytime um so making sure you keep your lines of communication open um and joining in on lots of um on on different calls so we i've found quite a few um 
calls that have just been open for the public to join. Uh, they've been set up by organised just by just by companies that I've seen on LinkedIn where they're just trying to encourage people to come on and have a chat. Um, so I've been chatting to a few people that I used to work with at my old place. We've been gossiping around what's good on Netflix and what we're having for tea and what we're doing with the kids. Um, we've got a, we've got a company wide call that happens every day at half past twelve for half an hour where we'll all jump on and. Uh, tell everyone what we're up to uh, I think we're doing a bit of remote learning so people are presenting different solutions to each other so it's just making sure that you're sort of getting that community spirit or continuing that community spirit continuing that team working ethos even though everyone's uh, been told to self-isolate you know, and I think it's some, well, some really good tips in there, and actually, a, a bunch of those that we, we've been doing ourselves as a company as well. You know, I think that that bit, that that piece you talked about right at the start, actually, about flexibility of working, you know, and understanding that maybe you won't be able to do some of the things that you you could do in the office. But I think I think one of the things that struck us is actually how um, the idea that cloud services are very much delivering the thing that people always said they would. You know, when, whenever people have talked about I me, mean, you, you said in your introduction about the amount of work you do inside of the Microsoft Cloud, 365 Azure. Mm. One of the things that we, we always told people as they kind of looked at, should I move to public cloud, was this idea of business continuity, the idea that public cloud would be on the whole more available than you could make it, would work very well for people who uh, needed remote access. Um, and it was a lot more straightforward to supply that kind of capability to our users than trying to do it all of ourselves it is i think, I think if last... a bit of a hammering at the moment um I've had... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, like, teams teams has had 12 million new users in the last seven days so uh, if anyone is having any, any issues with teams i think we probably just need to bear with microsoft while they deal with the uh, with that influx um and just re uh, recalibrate themselves but yeah uh, yeah definitely the, pub- the public cloud obviously it's elastic and you should be able to cope with the demand well I think as we've seen that as well I mean it, it, and it's an interesting number you, you talk about there that teams have seen kind of 12 million new users but on the whole teams continues to operate you know and I think one of the things that we saw very early on was actually for quite a lot of organizations suddenly trying to scale their remote access capabilities from you know what might have been 50 users suddenly it's 500 users or in some cases 500 users were becoming 5,000 users and they were really struggling to meet that demand whereas a lot of the public cloud providers um, and I had actually on top of that we're recording this on the uh, 25th of March I saw a piece today in the register talking about how people are starting to see in the side of Azure at the moment lack of resources to provision things so mm-hmm. trying to start a VM and, uh, and and getting messages back saying those resources don't don't you know aren't available yeah. but I think what we'll see is they will be very quickly being able to up level those resources so that people can utilize them so so i think that's been quite interesting and and it's and and public cloud has on the whole allowed us to relatively easy transition and be more flexible um and, and i think one of the other things that we've picked up on is is something you talking about there the importance of that kind of daily communication you know we've made sure that we have a it's nine thirty in our case but a daily meeting on teams where everybody kind of checks in is everybody okay what they got planned um and actually just starting off that other option that you're talking about, which is opening up kind of an, an open conversation for our customers. Mm. Anybody got a problem, you know, it, it's it's a it's kind of a free call to to drop on and, and have a chat and just share where you're up to and you know, not not necessarily looking for something to solve, but just to check that other people still exist. So um so, so, so I think that, you know, all, all of that stuff's really, really important. Um one of the other things that you, you'd had in your article, um, and kind of, kind of one of the things I I wanted to look at for for you know this chat was 
was you talked about data handling, you know, and, and providing some guidance with how people that use their data. Um, you know, did you want to comment a little bit on that? And, and again, some of the examples and advice that you've been giving people. Uh, yeah, definitely. So I think we all know that data makes the world go round. It's probably one of the most valuable commodities uh, that we've got nowadays. Um, if it gets into the wrong hands, then we're kind of screwed. Uh, not only because of your reputation, but obviously there's GDPR fines uh, that come into play as well. And none of us want to be on the receiving end of one of those. Um, so I think it's just making sure really that you've got the policies in place and that people understand those policies of how they can handle the data, what they're meant to be doing with it, um, where they can share it, where they can store it. Um, and how they dispose of that data as well. So, I mean, there's tools out there like Microsoft Information Protection that will stop you from um, accidentally sharing internal data externally. So you can put labels on it. So it, you click on it and click that it's an internal document. And then if you try to share it outside um, of your domain, then um, it, you, well, you can't, you're, in, you're physically unable to do it. <clears throat> Um, but I think the thing around storing documents as well. So you need to make sure that people are using the sanctioned tools that you've got. So if you're telling people they need to be using SharePoint or they need to be using OneDrive or what, well, I mean, they're the Microsoft ones and <laughs> I'll push the Microsoft ones. Um, but obviously there are other other cloud storage providers available like Box or Dropbox or whatever, Google Drive, I guess. Um, so yeah, just making sure that that your employees know exactly where they're meant to be storing data. Because if you're securing that particular um, cloud storage solution, then obviously it'll they'll fall under um, your security protocols. Then, but if people start to to save documents outside of those, then you don't know who's got access to it. It might be uh, not, might not encrypt the document properly, or other people might be able to access it, or whatever it is. Um, I mean, you can you can also use a CASB tool. So Microsoft got the Microsoft Cloud App Security or MCAS tool, which will block um, block applications that you've not sanctioned as an organisation. Um, so that's that is another option. But I mean, in the short term, I think it's easier to just have a conversation with your employees and say, "This is where you need to store your data. Make sure you store it there." Yeah, and I think that piece actually that you, you kind of just wrapped up on there, because I, I think it's easy for us to get all all very excited about, oh, we should be deploying some new technology, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. But like you said, is actually making sure that people understand uh, fully how to utilize the tools they've got under, uh, and be clear around the importance of using those tools. So actually, I thought it was quite a good example there about uh, you know what, whatever your sanctioned internal storage tool is, be it Dropbox or OneDrive or SharePoint, you know, it doesn't really matter. But make sure that users are aware that that's where documents need to be going and you know, and if we can apply some additional rules and controls over those to stop them accidentally being set, leaked out, that you know, that's 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 hugely important. But um, but yeah, I, mean, I, I think un, that people understanding the why, you know, the, the importance of why they should store stuff in the right kind of place, uh, and understanding the risks of not doing that, I think is again, it, it is hugely crucial, particularly as people maybe are accessing and and, and integrating with some of these. Um, some of these storage areas in ways different to they may have done in the past. You know, again, that idea of it's an unusual device from an unusual location. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and have you got any tips on kind of how people have gone about educating people with that? Is it, you know, just sharing a policy, things like online training? You know, what, what, what kind of good ways of sharing that have you seen? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it depends on how... <clears throat> Sorry, that was that wasn't a coronavirus cough. I was just clearing my throat. Um, I think it, it, it's funny how we all need to do that, don't we? We all have to justify a cough now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh... 
I um, I think it really depends on the culture of the organisation, really. So if you usually share things on Yammer or if you usually send an email out, then I continue to communicate in that way because it means that your users are, you know, if that's if that's how you usually do it and it works for you, then um, your users will read that information and take it on board. If you usually do it on a call, then have a call with with, with the with the team. I mean, it is entirely up to people how they want to do it. But I think, yeah, in the short term, it is the fastest way of making sure your data is safe, just having a conversation with people, whether you write it down or email it or send them it on a letter or whatever, whatever it is you want to do um as long as you're communicating that that the, the why like you said um i think that'll probably in the short term be the the fastest way of doing things but yeah in the long term there are other things you can do which i'm more than happy to sell to people whenever they want whenever, whenever they're ready to uh, whenever they're ready to buy but um i don't think there's there's not a particularly quick turnaround on a on an information protection deployment like you said so yeah short term just have a chat yeah, and actually, I think as you've just kind of wrapped up with there, you know, I think it's hugely important for people to appreciate that although there are things that you can do, now is perhaps not the time to be trying to, to do them, you know, as you've got lots of people working in these kind of new and unusual environments, working in maybe in different ways, that the idea that uh, we suddenly implement a whole bunch of new restrictions and controls, as clever and important as they might be, perhaps now isn't quite the, uh, the the best time to be doing that. Um, well, look, as, as we start to kind of come to end, Sam, I, I want to pick up on a couple of other things that you, you'd mentioned in that document, which again, strike me as, as really good practice, particularly around ensuring that we maintain a good security posture while we're, we're kind of going through these changes and, and mm-hmm. adjusting to this uh, strange new reality that we all find ourselves in. Um, you talked about the idea of um, multi-factor authentication. You know, you, you talk in the article about uh, saying, "I'll make sure a link goes in the show notes to this." But you talked about kind of Azure AD within there. Yeah. Um, but you know, that idea of uh, multi-factor authentication in general. You know, for for maybe for people who aren't familiar with it, maybe, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what it is. Um, but, but the value that you're seeing um, in, in terms of deploying that and, and kind of rolling it out. Yeah, I mean. If you don't know what multi-factor authentication is, then please Google it and have a look at it. Um, I'm sure most people do know what it is by now. Um, I, but I am considering changing my name to MFA so that I can uh, <laughs> so that I can <laughs> preach a little bit more about MFA. Um, yeah, so multi-factor authentication does stop 99.9% of all credential-related attacks. So if someone gets your username and your password, if you've got multi-factor authentication enabled, it'll text you saying, you've tried to sign into this uh, website here. Can you put this code in? And obviously, if the attacker hasn't got your mobile phone, which is 99.9% of the time, apparently, um, then they will be getting blocked from accessing your from accessing whichever application it is that they're, that they're trying to hack into. Um, obviously, we've now got passwordless multi-factor authentication as well. So that's available with all flavors of Azure AD. Um, so you can just use the authenticator application so you can use the biometrics that it uses on your phone so if you've got an older iphone it'd be thumbprint if you've got a newer iphone it'd be face um or if you've got any other i don't know what happens with all the other phones because i've only got iphones (laughs) but but yeah i'm assuming it's um thumbprint or face recognition with uh with samsung's and androids and whatever else um but yeah, like I've also written down, it is more than multi-factor authentication. So we we have we can you can enable MFA, it's great, but you don't want it to ask you for a code every single time that you log in. So using Azure Active Directory to do things like risk-based conditional access um, can improve the user experience greatly. It's not that difficult to roll out. 
Um, so you can do things like assess um, which device they're logging in from and it'll check. Uh, check the device, it'll check the application you're trying to log into, it'll check the identity credentials, it'll check your location uh, and then you can uh, assign a risk rating to that um, to that signing session and then it'll do the machine sorry machine learning in the background will decide whether you then have to multi-factor authenticate or if it decided it definitely looks like it's you trying to log in so they'll just let you straight through um if it's a really dodgy signing you might want it to reset your password or alert someone in the it team um but yeah it's uh it just it's, it's a bit of a smoother user experience for your users and um, it adds an additional layer of security in terms of uh, being able to raise alerts with, with the security team or whoever it is, um, if there's something dodgy going on. I'm really, you know, I'm a real big fan of that idea, actually, of that kind of the piece you've been talking about, that idea of conditional access, um, you know, and understanding that, you know, we might allow some users from certain devices, certain locations, a, uh, I don't know if easy is quite the right word that I, I want to use, but it's, it's the best I've got, um, you know, time it needs must and all that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think it's, it, it can allow that user a more seamless logon experience, but the moment that they step out of that, um, you know, so maybe when they're trying to connect from a different location, it may ask the question, what on earth are you doing outside your house? You should need to get back indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, maybe it's a different device or you, you, you've been, you've been forced to log on from somewhere else for some other reason it can apply those kind of additional layers of, of security and i think that's hugely important as we kind of find ourselves in in the situation that we are currently uh, and one other thing that i've thought about in that space as well is for people who are using those kind of policies to make sure they've now reviewed those policies slightly differently because if you've got a policy that apply some um, kind of draconian controls to users logging in from home Mm -hmm. and suddenly 98% of your users are now logging in from home, you might want to tweak that policy um, a little bit. Definitely. And, and there's some about continuous improvement as well. So when you implement security policies, I mean, advice changes all the time and technology improves all the time. Um, so having that flexibility to change those processes and also get the feedback from your users. Like you said, if you've got draconian measures in place for people that are working at home, now's probably not the time to be keeping those in place and maybe relax it a little bit. Um, but if you use it, if you're working towards kind of the zero trust model, which a lot of organizations are now moving towards, we've had a lot of conversations recently about that zero trust piece um, with uh, companies since the coronavirus pandemic started because they're not able to trust the network that someone's logging in from because like I said it's not a corporate network because no one's sat in the office anymore they're not able to trust the device because it's not necessarily a corporate owned device and they're not there and the person's not sat in the office they're not necessarily able to trust the identity credentials that someone's logging in with um, so looking at that zero trust model and how you start implementing tools around that has been uh yeah it's becoming a bit more of a, a conversation that we're having with customers on a more regular basis now well it's something that we talked about actually before we started recording this was um we've seen a lot of coverage about people talking about virtual private networks vpns um and almost seeing vpns as a um kind of the one thing they need to focus on if you get that right you're going to solve all of your other problems but i think as you've just kind of touched on there you know this that that the issue with it's not an issue with vpn as such but if you don't think about this holistically in, in terms of security one of the issues that you might have is if you're trying to deploy a zero trust model, and if you're not, perhaps you should be, is the idea that we are no longer being able to trust the networks that our end user devices are connecting on. So VPN alone 
it has potential has a potential to introduce a whole bunch of new risks that you perhaps not thought about which is i think the importance of tying together you know kind of multiple layers of this you know is is again is that is that something you're advising is that something you're seeing yeah, I mean, don't really recommend using VPN at all. As long as you've got multi-factor authentication enabled and you're using sort of conditional access policies, you should be able to access data um, within your organisation. Um, oh, yeah, we just oh, VP, VPN is not um, not the, not the route that we recommend usually. I think there's other other things that we can focus on. Um, we do usually start with a baseline that identity is the control plane for everything. So if you secure your identities, you fairly strong you're probably in a, in a in a much better position than um yeah you're in, a, you're in a better position from securing your identities than you are from using a vpn let's put it that way yeah and i, and I think that's you know we, again we've talked before but both on a previous podcast we've done um as well as in general that that kind of um identity as a as an attack vector is um yeah, it's certainly the direction that a lot of threats are starting to head. You know, it's the idea that people aren't trying to hack networks; people are trying to fish identity details. You know, that that tends to be one of the kind of one of the routes in. And I think it really was the reason I wanted to have a chat with you. Uh, you know, right now on, on kind of the, the you know the, this topic was that as people are being pushed out into those kind of uh, you know d- different and unusual working environments, as they're being um, you know kind of kind of knocked out of their normal routines, that's when potentially they're a little more vulnerable to a phishing attack or doing something they shouldn't do and accidentally sending a file somewhere somewhere they shouldn't. So so that idea of being aware of that and, and ensuring that you kind of protect your data and your systems from from that kind of risk, I, I think is is hugely valuable. So well, look, Amy, as, as we kind of wrap up with, with our time here, you know, as, as so for people who are listening to this, you know, maybe maybe if you could give them a top two or three things that, that you would advise that, that kind of right away they go away, take a look at and, and just, to, you know, just to ensure that their security posture is in, in a good state. Uh, yes, so I mean, top two tips, uh, they're always the same, uh, is patch your systems and implement MFA uh, for your users. They're the top two things that I would recommend whether we're in a pandemic or not in a pandemic. That's <laughs> like we said earlier, the basics just don't change. Um, but the, uh, yeah, yeah, MFA, patching, make sure you've got that up to date. Yeah, and I think Joe, you know though, I think they, they kind of fall into something that's a, certainly a conversation I'm having on a on a regular basis now. Is that I think while people are start while right now we're going through a lot of change, a lot of people are having to adjust to a whole bunch of new ways of operating. Mm-hmm. That actually a lot of the adjustments we make when you know when life starts to return to some kind of normality, a lot of those things may well remain in place. And you know, and I'm with you 100. percent I think you know, make sure you're patching and you're securing your systems as much as you can all of the time. Um, and multi-factor all of the things that you can multi-factor. You know, I, I can't can't argue with either of those things. So, um, so Amy, look, I really really appreciate you jumping on. I know it's a busy time for you guys, and uh, kind of coming on, joining the show at short notice. Um, if people want to find out more about what you do, um, some of the writing that you do, I'll say I'll make sure that uh, I pop links in the show notes to some of your articles. Um, but if people want to hunt you down in general, how can they go about doing that? Uh, yeah, just get in touch with me via email. Uh, it's amys at identityexperts.co.uk. Otherwise, uh, just message me on LinkedIn. It's Amy Stokes Waters on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm more than happy to have a chat with anyone who's uh, who needs to. Yeah, and, and I think as we were saying again before we started recording, you know, I think that idea that a chat with people doesn't cost anything. Uh, so you know, if you've got queries, you've got any kind of uh, issues that you, you're unsure about, um, you know, asking somebody's not going to hurt. And I think right now. Um, Certainly, the people I'm speaking to, no, nobody's adverse to having a chat, 
you know, and, and trying to help out where they can. Um, and as I've done on these shows, you know, not normally something I do, but if you do want to talk to me as well in a professional capacity, uh, you can get me on my work email address, which is pauless at gardenersystems.co.uk. Uh, but for now, Amy, look, thanks for coming on the show. Much appreciated. And uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon, maybe when the world's gone back to some kind of normality. Lovely. Thanks, guys. Bye. I hope you found that useful for show notes, as well as our other Tech Interviews specials, as well as our normal Tech Interviews podcast, then pop over to techstringy.com. If you've got an idea for a show or anything you'd like to see us cover during either the special episodes or our normal Tech Interviews podcast, then why not drop me a line? You can find me at podcast at techstringy.com or at techstringy on Twitter. And if you want to make sure you catch all future episodes, then why not subscribe? You can find us in all good homes of podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. So until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and thanks for listening.